Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411 and sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand. Always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and today's episode is all about money, 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 money. Specifically, we will be spilling lots of salary secrets as we pick the brain again of David Buckmaster. He is a global compensation executive and author of Fair Pay. And if all this salary talk makes you think about your own, you're in luck. We've launched a new online course this week. It's called Ask for a Raise 101. This course covers everything from how to determine your market value to the exact word-for-word scripts that you can use to make a successful ask along with things that you want to avoid and things that will impact whether you should ask for a raise, etc. Plus, your enrollment this week comes with a special bonus, our salary negotiation flashcards. You'll get 15 plus scripts for common yet really tricky salary scenarios at work. This bonus is totally free, but it's only available when you enroll in Ask for a Raise 101 by Monday, March 28th, 2022. Lastly, I should mention this course is only $27 and gives you lifetime access to the video tutorials, the workbook, the expert FAQ, so you can rewatch it every time you need some negotiation help. All right, now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Have you been thinking about asking for a raise? Or maybe you work in HR and you're overwhelmed with the requests. Is it the great resignation, inflation, 
or being able to see the end of COVID that's putting this on people's minds. We don't know, but it's probably a bit of all of the above. And we know that you have questions because we asked you on Instagram if you had questions for David Buckmaster and you guys delivered a ton of questions. So of course we had to ask David to come back and answer all your burning salary questions. And if you don't know, David Buckmaster is the author of Fair Pay and he's also a salary and compensation expert. He's the guy who helps companies determine compensation and pay ranges for roles within organizations. David was also on the show earlier and explained how compensation is determined at companies. So I'm going to link to that episode also in the show notes. I highly recommend maybe listening to that one first and then coming back and listening to this. And again, it's all in the show notes. David, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me back. Okay. So is it just me or do salary raises seem to be on people's mind right now? Yeah, I will say this is like the most complex time ever for people in my job to try and figure this out, right? You know, inflation is super high. Yeah. Uh, people are changing jobs. There's there's just everything is kind of breaking at the same time, you know, for for uh, for companies, for employees. There's just so much. But yes, so you are seeing a lot of headlines about this and for very good reason. Yeah. I also read that the U.S. average for a raise is normally 3% and that this year is going up to a whopping 3.3%. I mean, that just seemed incredibly low to me, but is that true? Uh, yeah, I, I have to imagine that it is. So, so let me let me give you some uh, inside baseball on how this works. And th- this is uh, remarkably not all that exciting. So like when you were <laughs> a, a compensation person at a big company, so there, there are a handful of vendors that basically ask, they go out to their companies that they are have clients and they um, they say, what do you expect to pay to, for your salaries to increase um, over the next year? And it's uh, usually just like one question out of a, you know, a hundred, this massive survey that, that like companies fill out every year. And it's like almost always the most junior person on the team who gets stuck with this work, right? So like you've got this person with, you know, a couple of, uh, a couple of years experience probably has absolutely no clue with the company really intense on uh, spending on raises, like, you know, anywhere between six and 18 months out. Uh, so this information just gets kind of circular, right? So like there's this running joke with our, within our industry. It's like, oh, what's your merit budget next year? Oh, 3% because it's literally all we've ever seen. And so let's, yeah. to, to be clear, this is US, like other countries are a bit different, but it's just like, we've never really had any pressure on this, you know? So 3% has been uh, kind of the standard we've gotten, a, I hate to use the phrase that we've gotten away with, but it's because the, the I write a lot in the book that it's not as competitive as, as it should be for wages, right? And this is one of the outputs of that is that you don't really have to think that hard about this number. So yeah, when you see 3%, and then it goes to 3.3. That just means that, that a couple of uh, companies were a little bit worried and, you know, some of their junior people were a bit more, um, maybe more uh, aggressive. But what, yeah. uh, but salaries will probably, will go up more than that, more than 3%, right? So yeah. that's the distinction. Well, that's good to know. I think everyone's like, oh, thank God. Because 3%, yeah. you're like, at the end of the day, that's like an extra 50 bucks, you know? Yeah, for a lot of people, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're really low on the wage scale, though, like if you're around that minimum wage number, uh, those numbers just by legislation is going up quite a bit, right? So I I, yeah. I, grew, I grew up in Florida, so so I um I monitor Florida pretty closely, just as kind of a bellwether for the rest of the country. And you know, minimum wage is extremely popular policy, and like even in Florida, uh, you know, they, which is pretty red now, they've gone like staged increases, you know, ten up to fifteen dollars an hour by I think twenty twenty six, and so that's like. Mm-hmm. 10 plus percent increase a year, you know, for the next seven years. So like, so, uh, so much of this is contextual, you know, based on where you are in the wage scale, if you're lower um, on a percentage basis, your, your, your percent is going to get higher. 
um, yeah. because of legislation. And if you're higher and the wage scale is probably going to be, you know, a bit closer to it's all to, you probably won't notice that much change to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. My first yeah. job ever was at Old Navy in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I remember I made $7.50 an hour. And nice. I was in high school, but still, I mean, I was, isn't I that crazy? A, uh, I was at Gap in Tampa and it was like <laughs> six something an hour. I was, and I was terrible at that job. So I'm, me uh, too. <laughs> I was uh, just, they told me to fold clothes all day long and I wasn't very yeah. good at it. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So we got a ton of questions. So we're really just going to go through these in rapid fire style and we're going to theme these out. So let's start with salary research. The first question is probably the one we get asked the most, which is where and how can you learn the market value of your job? The the answers to these questions are always interesting, right? Because I think people want the the very pithy you know, very easy answer, you know, but the, uh, the real answer is it depends. Uh, and I, and I know that's super annoying if you were on, uh, the other side of the table and you don't have the right data, but, uh, the reality is your compensation team is the only, we're the only people who actually have good data. And, and, and the reason for that is, you know, there's a handful of vendors that produce that can get what's called full census data from, um, from companies to say, here's everybody and how they're paid. It's all like, it, it's not, you know, identifiable at the person level or anything, but then you get these aggregate numbers back to get what's effectively like legitimate market rates. And then, so everybody who's trying to guess at that stuff is more or less, uh, they just don't have as complete information. So um, like if I'm hiring for somebody in a compensation role, like it's pretty easy, like there's no hiding behind it because I know we're all looking at the same data. But if you're not fortunate to be in that kind of role, which is the great majority of us, I think there's a handful of places that you probably just need to check all of them, and then see if you're getting at a, uh, a, a consistent answer. So certainly like the glass tours, salary.coms, pay scales, the self-reported sites, like you have to start there. I will say that uh, those sites will get better with time, but they are uh, probably not as accurate as, um, in my experience, as some of the, uh, certainly not as the more official data sets. So um, I'm happy those sites exist and, and, and I wish them the best. I think they're doing really important work. You could also check university websites. So university, like in a lot of jobs, if you're an accountant or if you're, you know, a coordinator of some kind, uh, you know, you know um, anything that a university might employ, those salary skills are usually pretty public, right? So like if you're university government, you know, you can assume it's going to be a bit lower than the normal private sector. But so maybe take that as a starting point and then lop on a percentage for more. Sometimes they'll put those in the job description too. Yeah. They'll say yeah, the salary what, range. That, that's where I was going to go next. So um, people have a new tool out here in states like New York and Colorado. Uh, where recent legislation has actually basically forced companies to post salary ranges. So what I would say is make sure that you are doing a couple of things, just being realistic about where your job is located relative to those places. Like if you are in Kansas, you know, you probably shouldn't expect that your pay range for the same job is going to be what it would be in New York, right? That, that there's going to be, a, uh, you know, maybe a 20% difference there or something like that, depending on the job. Colorado is more of a national average kind of state. So that's probably a better uh, resource for you. But the important thing is to make sure you're normalizing for uh, what we call job level. So I think on the first the first time we talked, there was uh, I, I gave the advice to just go Google the phrase Radford Leveling Guide or Mercer Leveling Guide. You know, like all of these things are like you can find them pretty easily on the internet. And like this is how most companies will basically categorize their job and say, here's what it means to be a manager. Here's what it means to be a director. And make sure that the the things that you are doing align with the title that you're, you've been given at your company, right? Because uh, a manager at a company, you know, the size of Facebook or something is going to be a very different job than the manager at like a, you know, like a regional insurance company, right? Like th those are just right. different scopes. So you have to be, uh, start with all of that data, 
think really critically about your own job and the scope of that compared to a leveling guide. And then that should get you within a reasonable range, I think. Mm -hmm. And would you also recommend that do all that work plus try to find some people in similar roles to find out what they're making? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that has to be part of the mix also. You know, I think one of the things that you have to be a little bit mindful about this because some employers are like, if you find out that your friend has, you know, is, or a coworkers who's in the same job level as you is making a lot more or a lot less. And you have that conversation, just know that one uh, in the U S that's a really like deeply protective guaranteed, right. Like you can do that. However, a lot of companies will be very upset if you do this, right. But you have to be mindful that you're not like, like use the information, but like, if you go say, well, Sally makes this and, you know, Rachel makes that, like it's, uh, that will probably reflect poorly on you, unfortunately. Like it's very sad, but, but I think it's a reality in a lot of, uh, in a lot of company contexts. I can vouch for that. I've watched someone make that argument and it did not yeah. go well as a recruiter. Yeah. And the other argument uh, that I would, or thing I'd like to vouch for is please don't say I'm worth this amount because Glassdoor told me if you stop your negotiation or your request at that I know as a recruiter, we didn't take those very seriously. And I, I would, I would not repeat that to a hiring manager. It would, it would like embarrass me. It would scare me to see what they would say. (laughs) hundred percent. So, and like, you know, when you do compensation for a living, you you start, you you can easily get kind of cynical, right? Because you see, you see massive numbers and you see like, you know, people complain about things and it's, and just to say, there's usually a relationship between the more you get paid, the more you complain, you know, like that, that's (laughs) you. Yeah. It's like almost the inverse of what you, what you might expect or what, what seems realistic, but yeah, absolutely. Like when you get more access to data, so as a recruiter or as a comp person, you start to see that there actually is for, for companies who take this seriously, there's a lot more rigor behind this than you might expect. Right. And then the stuff that you can appreciate where people on the other side of that are just doing the best they can. You know, they're, they're Googling, they're trying to get information. They want to get paid fairly. That's, that's awesome. And they should, and they have to, and they're doing what they can, but it's on, I, I, I believe firmly it's on the company to make sure that they are doing the work on, on this mm-hmm. side, you know? Um, yeah. And if yeah. you work for a smaller company, they might not have access to all this compensation data and they might not have a David at their company. And so also, actually, this is a good segue into the next question, which is um, how can you learn about the company's pay program or structure if they don't share? So you, what if you don't know how they're doing raises or if they're working with databases and kind of making it more official? Yeah. So what I'd say on this is, um, you know, is it, is it not yet or not ever, you know, like that the company, do they have pay programs in place? Like maybe, maybe they're a startup, maybe they're just kind of getting their HR house in order and they just haven't really gotten to that in a formal way. They've grown, you know, with friends and networks, that kind of thing. Um, and they're piecing together just to try and get the business off the ground. So like, is it not yet or is it not ever? If it's not yet, like give them some grace. They're going to build some of this. You can even help them with that. Give them the benefit of the doubt. If you get the sense that it's not ever, they're not ever going to do this. Like, um, and if you have the ability, like you have to figure out your exit plan, right? Because like it, you are, you are, things are not going to go well for you. Or maybe they have a uh, kind of an old school mindset HR department where like they just view HR as policy police and that's all they do. And, you know, that's why most people hate HR. I'm in HR, but I can appreciate that most people hate HR because that's their, the interaction they have with them. It's like they've done something awful to them, you know, and that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah and, and you've worked in HR too, right? So like, this is uh, like an unfortunate reputation uh, that a lot of companies have with, with, with their people, right? But it's, if you have the ability and they are not going to share something with you, again, I think just consider that a, a 
bad omen for what your career management is going to be. And if you have people that are advocating for you or not, a lot of yeah. people do not, do not have the ability to just, you know, take, uh, have multiple options, you know, so that, that is going to be highly contextually relevant, but yeah. Um, well, and this could mean also you guys find out if they have an annual review process, when it is, how it works. Usually if they have one, they're going to let you know how it works. And if they don't have one, maybe it's going to be like once a year, they revisit salary. Sometimes I feel like if they don't have something, your work anniversary becomes sort of this like unsaid date of review, I guess is like once a year is kind of what I see as sort of um, typical for the timeline. Then would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I, you know, at a certain scale, that becomes impossible to manage, right? You know, like yeah. uh, uh, unless you move to really formulaic-based kind of model, like you know, a lot of like retail establishments might do this if you've been there for a year, your pay gets automatically increased. But if you're in a more professional context, you're right; they'll typically pick one to two points out of the year. And they'll say we're going to review everybody, and that's smart, right? Because then they can get the right budget. They can make sure they're distributing pay equitably and, you know, across performance versus it just being an ad hoc, never ending kind of program. So uh, companies will try and uh, really focus this in on, you know, a particular time of year. It typically will happen, you know, within one to two months after the close of the fiscal year, uh, because yeah. then if they have bonuses, that's when they want to pay it out and that kind of thing. I also think that's a good time to ask if they do raises based on merit or if they just do raises based on like I worked at a university and they you just got a, a, a certain percent raise every year. Like yeah. basically if you showed up and you didn't screw up to Bali, you were like guaranteed to get like three percent as your raise. Yeah, absolutely. And some of that can be driven by union contracts, right? Like that, that could just be how it's written. Uh, when you see an environment like that, typically it's more of a like not really a technical term, but it's kind of a peanut buttering approach where you just kind of spread the same across everybody. You know, yeah. you have X dollars and we're just going to basically give everybody the same thing. A lot of companies do that. Like they might view it as more of a cost of living adjustment as opposed to a performance increase. And like, this is where we're getting into some of the semantics games. Like, you know, like for example, I know, um, you know, there were some articles about, I think about Google uh, a few weeks ago, you know, about how Google won't be paying for inflation-based, you know, increases, you know, and like, I read that more as a uh, as semantics kind of thing. It's like, they're not going to tie pay directly to inflation, but their pay raise budget is likely going to cover inflation. They've just, they've just kind of designed it such that they can give more of that overall budget to their top performers. Like it doesn't mean that they're just ignoring that number entirely, but they always have to, any company is always going to have to try and tri triangulate across like, how are they showing up to market overall? What can they afford at Google? You know, affordability is never an issue, right? Uh, mm -hmm. but, um, what can they afford? You know, how do you differentiate top performers? And, you know, inflation is certainly a part of that as well, right? So you have to try and figure out all of that stuff out at the same time. So it can be, it can be kind of complex. Mm -hmm. Okay, so last final question in the research uh, theme is how do we factor in housing costs when negotiating a raise? Where do we find that data? Housing is so interesting. And so let me say something a bit controversial here. Like, unless you've been asked to relocate or go on an expatriate assignment to another country, housing is never considered directly. So it's never a, uh, and this is something where you, you talk about people sending you their glass door research as a recruiter. Like sometimes comp people will get like the household budgets of, I, it's been years, since <laughs> I've but, but like, I remember one company, like it's, it happened to me like three times in a year or something where like, you know, you get a household budget of somebody and it's like, okay, you know, you, you, you put a lot of thought into this, you know, this is, let me take a look at it. Then let's have a conversation about it. But housing is never directly considered. There are two terms here. So one is cost of living and another is cost of labor. So cost of living is 
I think we're all familiar with that, right? Like what does it cost for, you know, housing and food and utilities and all of that stuff? Well, especially um, right now with inflation, we're like aware yeah, that the cost yeah, of yeah, living yeah. went up. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, <laughs> the other number is cost of labor. So that's the price of the jobs in the marketplace. So like companies will always, uh, they want to try and stay away from lifestyle choices, right? And consider the non-inflationary context, normal year. Like they want to make sure that they're like, cost of living can be kind of personal to everybody, right? Like you can yeah. choose what kind of car, what kind of housing you want, all of those things. Cost of labor is theoretically, at least a more objective measurement of what is this accounting manager's worth? And I'm, if you can't see me on video, I'm using like air quotes because I don't necessarily believe in this word, but worth um, in the marketplace because I think there's all sorts of biases around that, right? So like that's theoretically a more objective measure. Now, cost of labor and cost of living usually correlate quite nicely. So there's really not that much difference. Where I've seen in the U.S. where this actually does become a, a big problem, there's three cities that always hit, is uh, Miami, Los Angeles, and D.C. And that's where cost of living typically greatly surpasses the cost of labor. And and uh, my my kind of read on this is any city where like long car commutes are the normal and you have a wide variety of housing options, you know, either core where it's very expensive or, or far out where it's way cheaper, like then you start to see some of that striation. So those three cities aside, like both of those metrics matter. You can look up cost of living, cost of labor. Again, it's kind of an internal, you're never going to be able to figure out that number. Uh, but like one thing to think about, like if you look at an extreme example, like uh, San Francisco, San Francisco housing is, you know, the average house in the Bay Area is what, a million and a half dollars, somewhere in there. So roughly, you know, five times the, you know, the average housing cost anywhere else, you know, you know, across the country, right? But like salaries are not 5X in San Francisco. They might be 25% more than the national average. So like you start to see that housing is this whole other set of policy problems that compensation can't necessarily fix. And so that's way outside of my area of expertise, but uh, I don't know, build more housing, you know, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's probably like, you know, join a, join your local Yimby campaign, I guess, you know, to build more housing, that'll probably help with it. But like, like the San Francisco example is the one that comp people always go to to say, like, it's where this relationship between housing and uh, price of jobs starts to break down. So I guess this, like the way to answer this is like, don't factor in housing costs when negotiating a raise, like just kind of leave that out. It's hard to say that, right? Like, like, it sounds like it should be included because like, clearly you can't not have housing, you know? So this is one of the things where, uh, unfortunately, the answer, the answer to the housing problem just has to be bigger than uh, what is your company choosing? You know, how are they choosing to navigate this? Now, I, some companies have gone, have gotten really bold and said, you know, we're going to, we're going to just basically ignore all of the, the salary survey data. And we're going to set a really high floor rate. So everybody can at least, you know, um, live in the area where, where we've asked them to, which seems like really straightforward. And, you know, and it makes a ton of sense. Uh, not enough companies are doing that. I, so I think, you know, the, the two that always come to mind, one is uh, PayPal. Uh, so PayPal is has basically moved their approach away from some of the salary surveys and said, over time, we want to make sure that everybody, no matter where they are, has, uh, and I might get the number wrong, but uh, they're, I think they're trying to work up like a 20% margin between what we pay them and what it costs to live in the area of wherever we are. Awesome stuff. But to do to get that, you, you throw out all of the like core mechanics of like traditional compensation design, which I think more people should do. I think that's fantastic because I think my industry is broken, which is why I wrote this book. Um, the other one that gets a lot of press is gravity payment. So you might be familiar with Dan Price. Uh, he writes a lot about this stuff. He's the, the guy in Seattle area who raised uh, his company's minimum wage to $70,000 because Seattle is quite expensive. And he had found out that one of his uh, employees was working a second job at McDonald's and that like 
shook him to his core, right? So, yeah, so those are the kinds of things that I think the best business leaders, the best HR leaders have to take really seriously and just say, the way that we've been doing compensation, just because it's market relevant does not mean that it's people relevant. And we have to think about new ways to make sure that people can, you know, can thrive personally, um, which means that they'll probably thrive for your company also. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we're moving into the numbers. So what's considered a good raise amount? Can you ask for a 10 to 15% raise or is that crazy? (laughs) Uh, I I think when you say it's 10 to 15% crazy, like that shows like how, um, desensitized, you know, we've, we've come or how, like those are, that's not a big number. I would say go bigger, uh, to be honest, (laughs) like it's one of those, like when you start to see what actually happens in companies and like, you see somebody kind of very meekly say, can I, you know, can I please have 10%, you know, like this is the kind of thing where we, we have to be bolder. Right. So uh, the the thing is this conversation is so contextual. And again, let let me just say the caveat, this is so dependent on country. We're speaking about the U S right now, uh, 10% and, um, Argentina is not going to fly in the country with 50% 50% annual inflation, right? So we have to be mindful about that. So I wouldn't even ask if, if you're going in with less than 10%. Like your company is going to be like, you're not really a high risk. Why, why are like, you're not going to like incur all of the switching costs for less than 10%. That that seems kind of silly to me. And it, it's, it's how the, your bosses will interpret that. I, I think when you have, when you go in and ask for a raise, and I'm assuming we're talking about like an off cycle thing, like a special event just for you. You basically have to show that somewhere in your company's processes, something has broken down. Either they brought you in way too low relative to the pay ranges or whatever annual cycles they have, um, have not kept you at pace with market. So I would say start at 10%, you know, go above that depending on your own situation. Just know that anything more than like 20%, like you're, you're going to have to have just a really, really strong case, right? Like, and that's where you can point to, uh, you know, your company's own, your own pay ranges, if they, um, if they make them public uh, or available to you, if they don't, you have a much harder path ahead of you. But uh, just know that the more, uh, the higher number you ask for, the, the greater burden of proof is, that's going to be on you. And uh, that, that's not a great situation to be in, but I think that's a reality for, for most people in those companies. Mm-hmm. So when asking for a raise, should I give a range or let them come up with the number? So I just, I broadly believe it's the company's job to get this right. It's not on you. You, you have less information than the company. And, you know, if you're working for a company that's, that's just playing games with you, like, I, I, I don't think that's good. And I don't think you should limit yourself by putting an artificial cap on it. It's going to like, whatever number you come up with, is going to be arbitrary because your company has much better data than you do. Right. So, um, you know, there was this, uh, like I'm hesitant to talk about it, but there was this like super viral uh, post that was going around. You, I, I see you smiling. You probably know what I'm talking about, right? You know, there's this, uh, this week, a recruiter who was saying, you know, the, basically I had a budget, uh, for 130. Bragging about it. Not yeah, just yeah, saying, I, she's yeah. bragging about right. that. I had a budget for 130,000 for this job, the, but I don't have time to teach this candidate to negotiate. So I gave the 85, she had the 85,000 she asked for. And, you know, I mean, this, I, like this person just got dragged online. Right. And it's like, uh, I, I mean, you, nobody that's everybody's worst nightmare right you never you never want to be like called out for it's you know, the person it's, who uh, says the number first and it's so much lower than what they were going to go for which yeah. is why people do not like saying a number and you feel like you have to because they always say what are your salary expectations yeah I, my my advice is to never give the number honestly uh like th- there's no advantage to you to give the number and, th- and this example is exactly the reason right because like you might come up with uh you might run into a company that doesn't have good policies in place. Or like if you give a number and their actual pay range is much higher than that, 
you've now just given them permission to, uh, you know, to give you a low yeah, rate. But this of person did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, which it's it, not the right thing to yeah, do, but, but yeah. does it happen? Yes. If you're a recruiter, please, and you're listening to this, please don't do that to people. You know, like you, you've just created more, like not just a problem for that person, but you've created a problem for your entire organization. You've created legal risk. You've created pay equity problems. Like, And just, you know what? They yeah. will, they usually do find out. And then someone comes and says, what happened to this person's salary? Yeah, Why is no, it so I, low? Yeah. I mean, I do that all the time. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and then we're going into the minutia here, but like, uh, Recruiters, your comp people know who made the offers. Like we're we're going to come asking if if you have a habit of doing some of this stuff, we're going to have a hard conversation because yeah, and they think they're saving the money, uh, the company money, but you're not. You're you're treating the person who's about to come work for the company like shit. And guess what? They're going to figure it out, and it's going to going to cause more problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you think you've done something great, but you've created a a world of hurt for the entire company yourself. So just 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 don't do that. Um, But like again. I would say just don't give the number. Like the only time you would want to give the number, I think, is if uh, for whatever reason the offer comes back extremely, like much lower than you thought, and now you have to try and um, uh, advocate for yourself a bit higher. Like if if you were making, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in your job, and they say I can give you eighty for this new one, and then I think it's appropriate to say, listen, I'm on a hundred now. I've got you know a ten percent bonus target on top of it, and to say like you know can can you at least match this where I'm at. Because there may be other things about the job that are uh, exciting. like more. Uh, Like, yeah, right. So like, but like, uh, I think that's all reasonable, you know? The other way, like if, this is why some of those laws around um, not being able to ask salary history, I think are really important. And and I think it's good legislation. And you see it, and it's not just in places like where I live in Oregon or, you know, California, but like even, you know, states like Alabama have laws about this stuff now, because like, I think we can all just intuitively see it puts the um, it puts the employee at a massive disadvantage. It it causes super headaches for uh, recruiters who might have to do double the work. But that just means that okay, they have to do their uh, job. You just have to be better at your job, you know. And that's yeah. true for the comp person too, by the way. Uh, a yeah. lot of comp a lot of comp teams have been caught extremely flat footed on uh, some of these pay transparency laws. But we're we're having to get better very quickly uh, to address some of this stuff. But yeah, uh, and if you uh, want a way to ask this, you guys, just as like an example script, I heard this the other day. My friend's a manager, and she was just doing reviews and salaries, and I said, "Did anyone before reviews? Did anybody come to you and?" basically say to you, I expect a raise or I want a raise. And she said out of a team of 13, only one did. It was a male. And he came to her and he said, I'd like to discuss the path to senior manager or at least compensation equivalent. So if you want a way to like basically drop the seed with your manager that you're looking for that raise before reviews or whatever, but you don't want to say the number or range, I thought that was a good strategy. I like the like compensation equivalent. It lets them know, like, I'm talking about money here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I I think that's super smart. Um, I would I would always encourage somebody to approach that pay conversation in the context of career. Right. Because if you're on the other side of that, if you're the boss, the HR leader, you have to come up with basically a mental framework to say, well, why did I give Lauren a pay increase, but, you know, but not Becca, right? Like if she asked the same thing, what's that kind of mental criteria that I use to kind of tick the box and say, yes, this actually makes sense. But for this person, no, it doesn't make sense. Right. And also your manager is an employee too, right? I think people forget that sometimes and they probably want more money. So like they have to be able to shuttle this up the chain. And very often, you know, your manager has no universal ability to just give you a pay increase. Like they're going to have to go advocate on your behalf. So anytime that you can say, hey, the scope of my role has changed. Uh, I'm doing more things now. Like I've got a bigger team or I'm accountable for a bigger P&L, whatever it could be, anything that could trigger a leveling conversation about the size and scope of your job or about if you're a good performer, what your 
career trajectory could look like, the compensation conversations are going to flow out of that, right? But if it's, uh, I, I do like the, uh, maybe just drop a little hint. It's like, I'm, I'm here to talk about career and and the, uh, I forget how you phrase it, but the compensation um, expectations. I think that's smart. Okay, so now we're moving into the pay conversation, which uh, let's start with, what are your top three tips for successfully asking for a raise or even maybe your top tips on what not to do? <laughs> Uh, so the first one, we've touched on some of this already, but like the knowing your numbers to the extent possible, you know, like being in, you know, being really looking at all of those different sources as best you can, you know, being careful about who you talk to, making sure that you are really clear around, you know, have I really been thoughtful about what level I'm at in the organization, you know, and, and what is my job too, right? Like, you know, I've met, um, you know, I've had conversations with people to say, well, I'm a data scientist, you know, and then you dig in a little bit more so you find out eh, you're not a data scientist you're like a data reporting analyst person like these are different things you know like yes. uh, these are different skill sets you're just you, you've got an elevated sense of what you think your job is but it actually isn't that uh so you have That's to be such like a polite way of saying that <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, you know again uh comp people can get extremely cynical because we see everything you know but it's yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but it's um so take some time just to like put yourself in the other person's shoes to say like, how, how would you respond if somebody came to you with these arguments? Like, uh, does that company, does the company have a point if they're trying to tell you no? You know, that might be a uh, something that people need to think about as they're plotting their uh, pay raise strategy. Uh, you know, I would also, you have to make sure that you're communicating not just your current value, but uh, based on your past performance about, about what you think you can add going forward. You know, it's like, especially in smaller companies where you can kind of bring in, you know, it's not just, if you give me more money, then I'm going to start working harder. You know, it's like the natural question is, well, you, what do you mean? You have been working as hard as you could this whole time? You know, let's have that conversation about how, why you've been holding back on us. But uh, if you can say, you know, I'd like to go, I'm a manager now. I'd like to be a director and go build this whole new line of business for us. Here's what I would like to do, you know, because again, business leaders are always going to view like, this is a return on investment. They're going to view this as transactional. And I think in the same way that they invest in, you know, new product lines or marketing campaigns or whatever, like they have to be able to probably justify this a few rungs up the ladder because they're not going to just be able to, and especially in big companies, just be able to approve it themselves. So they have to be very mindful about that. And then, you know, I think, you know, clearly timing it is really well. If you're coming in like one week after the, like the company's just done his pay review or one week before, like those budgets are probably lost. You're probably not going to have any success, right? But like if you time it, usually like at the complete opposite time of the year, you know, like that's probably when you have the most success for the biggest uh, increase possible because your HR is going to be like, oh, geez, we're like a full six months away, eight months away from this person actually getting a, a proper pay increase. And we think their retention risk, they're a great performer, all of this stuff. We need to really think about this, uh, this person's pay now. Every company, like a lot of companies will say, we don't do off cycle or ad hoc increases. I promise you they do. Uh, if the person is loud enough or and if they're a, a solid enough performer, like they will make these exceptions. Um, it just might be quite difficult. So you have to make your manager's job easy, you know, to say, well, it's obvious this person needs a pay increase, you know, because um, they add this level of value. We need them for these projects. You know, they're this low in the pay range. Like those kinds of things are just all tick boxes that um, that will help you build a, a strong case. If you're an average performer, you can have a really tough time, to be honest. Um, you can always pull the I have an outside offer card, but that is a, you know, I think I've talked about this as being a more of a nuclear option for you. Like, a lot of companies will just straight up view this as a betrayal. And that's that's sad, but a lot of companies will do that. And they say, well, you know, it's not easy to get another offer. That means you 
you know, have been through multiple rounds of um, interviews. You've thought about this for a long time and you've never talked to me about this. Why don't you just talk to me about pay? And, and I don't think that's necessarily like there. It's a little gaslighting, right? Because it's like, well, because pay is scary to talk about, you know, and I, yeah. I don't want to miss my employment. So, but like, if you're going to pull that card to get the offer letter, you have to like, you have to be kind of ready to walk, right? Because a lot of companies actually have no counteroffer policies. Like that's their policies. They will never do it. Because there's this, um, there's this stat out there that like, I've never seen anybody like really verify, but it gets repeated all the time. So who knows if it's true, but like, there's this uh, idea that if somebody accepts a counteroffer, they're like 80% of people who accept counteroffers are gone within six months anyway. Yeah. You know, there's something else, that. something else that is broken down within their, uh, within their own practices or their employment situation. So um, that's why a lot of companies are hesitant to do that. And they don't want to like be viewed as creating that kind of culture where to get a pay increase, you have to go, you know, sneak around and, and do this kind of thing. So yeah. um, that, that's always an option, but it's a, it's a super risky one. Mm-hmm. So next question is, when should I ask for a raise? My company does annual reviews every March. So going back to what you said, you basically count six to eight months before when they do the review. I, I probably would, you know, and like if you, the annual review for most companies is going to be really, really basic increase, right? So some companies will, uh, you know, they try and do performance differentiation, but it's, it's never like, it's never, it's rarely meaningful in the sense that, you know, I've been with companies where, uh, you know, they've called, you know, one person got a 3.3% increase and they got a 3.1% increase and they've called that performance differentiation. It's like, no, it's not. Come on. Like, what, what are we even messing around with here? Right. So some companies do operate that way. You know, they've got their three to 4% budget and they're like very carefully smoothing it across everybody. But if you need something much bigger than that, you're probably going to have to make a special case outside of that cycle because normally within the cycle, like there's a fixed budget and for you to get more increase, it's got to come away from somebody else. Yeah, you know? I worked at a place yeah. that was like that. It was like the max you could get was eight. So you knew if you were the top performer, you were going to get eight, but then they had to take some of that away from somebody else to give you the eight. Yep, yep, yep. But if you have a strong enough case, I would wait. And if you need a big increase, I would wait to that kind of midpoint of the year. You know, a lot of companies will do like their annual increase, but then they will do a you know, like in the middle of the year, they'll do a top talent review anyway, just to check in to see how are our, how are our uh, superstars and emerging leaders? How are, how are they, uh, you know, ranked against market and how are like, are we keeping pace with them? You know? So mm-hmm. those are all the kinds of things that you, you want to be thinking about. And again, this all happens if you're an adequate performer and you don't have much, you don't have that strong of a case, like, you know, you might be out of luck. Right. So a lot of this is uh, a bit of a paper performance kind of mentality, or at least it should be, it should be, it, is, it isn't always like, there's always the, the manager that's a super squeaky wheel or the employees and they just kind of want to make that person go away. So that, yeah. that kind of stuff happens too. When can you ask for a raise after landing a new job? Like how soon could you do it? So I think if you're at this, um, if you're at the same company and you get a new job and your job has gotten bigger, like, and if you haven't gotten a pay raise like that, that's a pretty clear indicator, right? Uh, you've got a new job, the scope is bigger and it's perfectly reasonable to say, you know, was this a promotion? Um, and, and if not, why not? Because my job feels a lot bigger than it used to, you know? So like there should have been some sort of raise attached to it. Like don't ever let a company just give you a title raise. Like that's ridiculous, you know, a title. Like um, some companies even go as far as to say, like you have a formal systems title, but then you have like a desk title, basically that you can, things that you can call yourself, you know? And this gets like, especially, especially ridiculous for companies that are like, that use that words that really have no sense of uh, leveling criteria. Like if your job, if your title is creative, I mean, what, what does that mean? You know, it's like, that can be anything. Some companies from a, you know, a entry level graphic design person or whatever to a, uh, you know, senior director, like, like 
when companies start getting really vague about titles, that's when you that's when you know you probably have some comp stuff going on in the background. But if you are moving to um, a new company and you still are in that proving yourself world, I, I, honestly, I, I think a good rule of thumb is probably a year. You need to go through that performance cycle. Um, a lot of companies will view your first year as more or less a trial. You know, they'll give you grace when you mess up and they will, you know, but on, on the upside of your performance, they'll, they'll probably kind of slow walk that, right? Like you're probably not, no matter how well you do, like they're probably going to be a bit hesitant that first year to make any changes. Uh, one, because it shows that maybe they misallocated you, you know, on the way into the company and they want to maybe save face a little bit, but also they know that people have been maybe performing at the same level for a longer period of time and they are ahead of you in line to get, um, to get reviewed. So I, mm-hmm. I would probably, I'd probably wait a year in that scenario. Mm-hmm. What can I do if I asked for a raise, but I was told no? Like, what are the follow-up pieces to that? Yeah, I, I might say something controversial here, but I think good compensation practice does require telling people no. And, and we do say no with, with regularity. And this can be good, right? Like this, if you don't say no, and like, let, let's let's assume the, uh, you know, the stat that, you know, men ask for salary increases at X rate of women, uh, even before they are, they feel like if a, uh, a man doesn't necessarily feel super qualified for the job they ask for, but you know, women. And again, I'm speaking in general generalities here, but the research will show that they they tend to feel like they have to be fully qualified before they ask for anything. You know, if that if that dynamic is true and exists in your company, uh, and you always say yes to the men, but you never are going to ask the women, you're and uh, you're going to create serious inequities in your company if you're always just saying yes. So, like, it's it's important to say no sometimes. You know, sometimes. Uh, requests come through that are absolutely ridiculous. You know, like like I, I've seen some crazy stuff come through in, in my time and you have to say no and, and that can be okay. You know, and I think you have to, again, like step back before you do this and say, like do, um, you know, like when you run a project, you do like a what's called a pre-mortem, you know, what are all the ways this could go wrong? And you, uh, and you try and plan against those things so the project doesn't go wrong. Do the same thing with your salary. What are all the reasons they could say no and then try and game plan those things, you know? And like, what are all the areas where they could say no and maybe they have a point, you know? Like maybe you're, maybe you're new in, in your level, you're still learning it. Maybe your performance isn't quite as strong as you might think it is, you know? Or, or maybe they have a career development plan for you in the background, you're just not aware of it in the sense that they want to give you certain experiences, uh, you know, before they increase pay. So, you know, always approach it through the lens of, you know, where they could say no, again, always focus it on career. How can, how can this help my career? But um, again, if it's, if they say no, you have a really solid case, uh, you need to start looking for the exits, right? And, and if you choose to show that, um, that, uh, that external offer, again, that, that's going to be a last resort, but like, you know, uh, yeah, I, I switched companies a number of times. Like that, that's a normal part of career growth, right? Like you might just come to the end of your road at a certain company and have to have to make a change and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we're moving into the structural stuff. So the first one is I found out my coworker makes more for the exact same job. So this is under the assumption that truly we're doing the same thing, managing the same stuff, et cetera. Now, what do I do? Yeah. Is that, uh, and I think you, you phrased this right. You know, there's so much loaded material under the, the phrase exact same job, right? Like it's one of the, if you're a barista at Starbucks, you're certain that's the same job, you know, like, uh, and because of that, you know, and, and I know this, I, I did comp at Starbucks for, you know, a while, right? So like um, I came out of this industry, like those those periods are all formulaic. You know, there's no negotiation that happens there because they're certain they're the same jobs. And, you know, they, they grow based on, you know, experience or whatever. And, and so it's something a bit more objective in that measure. But like, 
uh, like really ask, are you really truly doing the same job? And, and, and if that, and if that is the case, like you're sat next to each other, you know, you're doing the same stuff at the same level, whatever it may be. Let's go back to our example, right? The, the, the hundred thousand to 120,000 uh, range, like have they been doing it longer? Have they been performing at a higher level than you? You know, what are the indicators that a company might view as acceptable reasons for pay differences? So big companies will do, um, they'll do, you know, pay equity analysis. And, you know, to do this, what they will, they'll come up with these really complex statistical models and say, here are all the reasons that we believe pay should differ, that we accept as valid reasons for it to deliver. So your level in the organization, your location, uh, your experience, your performance, all of those kinds of things could be proper explainers, you know, but then if they throw a variable like gender in there or race in there and everything else is equal, they should, and, and, and they find a statistical difference, like, like they will, they will fix it. You know, like those are the kinds of things that they should try and fix. That said, um, you know, companies miss on some of these things sometimes, right? Like somebody could be categorized wrong in the system. And so it doesn't like, if you've got 50,000 person organization and you know, your, your data and the system is a lower level than the work you're actually doing, then it's unlikely to kind of pop in some of those analyses, right? So like, in my experience, this is very, very rarely about malice and much more about incompetence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, and, I know and, and, someone who had that yeah. happen to them. She was earning $20,000 less because somebody literally just entered it into the system the wrong way. 100%. That, that stuff happens. In, in big companies, it happens. So like, this is why there are toxic organizations out there. Um, that's not what I'm speaking about here. I'm talking about, uh, in most cases, if you um, give people the benefit of the doubt and give them a chance to correct it, they probably will take a look at this and say, you know what? Uh, they probably won't say, oh, you're right. But they'll say, hey, we've given you, uh, in very corporate speak, you know, we, we've re- re- reviewed your pay. You know, we've adjusted your pay. Uh, and, you know, we, we believe in you and thinking of the career. Like, the, the, you know, then that's when all the HR speak comes in, right? But it's, uh, so... Maybe start um, start down that path and just make sure that your your information is correct in the system. That's the most basic uh, thing. Uh, always go back to that leveling guide. If you are doing your company calls a director, but you're in a manager title, say, hey, I think I'm underleveled. You know, those kinds of things will absolutely trigger pay conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's the Mercer leveling guide, which we will also link to. Yeah. So th- there's like three or four really big survey companies out there. And so one is called Willis Towers Watson. Another is called Mercer. Another is called Radford. If you've worked in the tech industry, Radford is kind of the go-to. Um, if you work in banking, it's McLaughlin. So, I mean, th- there are kind of standards for this, but if you just Google the phrase leveling guide, honestly, like you'll find a bunch of these. And like, um, you could probably take any one of these and just go sit in front of your, your manager, your HR rep, whatever you feel comfortable with and saying, you know, like, you guys call me a manager, but like, I'm saying like, how do, how does, how do our standards compare to this? I'm just trying to figure out my career, you know? And like, that will lead to the kinds of conversations that if you ask a technical enough question, like hate to keep being mean to HR, but HR does not necessarily known as the most technical part of the organization. Right. But if you ask, start asking very technical comp questions, like usually it'll say, it'll get punted over the compensation team and they can take a more technical look at it just to make sure that everything is sorted out right in the, in the business. So I might even encourage people to say, to try and ask technical questions. Uh, so it does get booted away from the frontline HR person and, you know, to the, to the comp team to take a special look at. Yeah. And if, and if you don't have a comp team and you don't have HR or something like that, start with your manager. I mean, whoever's coming up with your salary, sometimes it's a manager at a company start there. That's uh, just to add that. Cause I know not everyone works somewhere that has a comp team too. Yeah. I would say in a healthy organization, always start with your manager, no matter what. 
You know, some organizations, some situations may not be healthy where if you feel intimidated or scared to talk to your manager like that, that's what a good HR team is there for. You know, usually they'll have employee relations kind of specialists, but uh, that can handle, um, help you navigate some of those uh, murky waters. And you know, that's, I feel for anybody in that situation. But again, like if, if you are, uh, if you have options, sometimes you just need to, to especially right now, right? When there's so many, um, when people are making so many changes, like now the, the, uh, now's the time if you have those options to, to, um, to take advantage of it. Okay. Last question. How to get a raise when working for a company that doesn't give non-merit raises like higher education or a government job? Um, you might not be able to, you know, <laughs> so like, uh, some of these, uh, you know, unless your job has changed, you know, you've been promoted or, whatever you, you really might not be able to, like they contractually may not, may not allow you to. And so like, uh, if I think uh, like for a, you know, academic environments or, um, uh, you know, government type jobs, there are very fixed uh, pay scales usually. And the only way to get an increase is if you change jobs or if you've been there longer, you know, mm-hmm. and those scales break down, those formulas break down as soon as they start altering it for one person, you know? So like companies might say, that are in that scenario might say, you know, we, sorry, but there's nothing we can do. And there are some, you know, for-profit companies that operate uh, in a very formulaic basis. So like uh, the one that always gets kicked around is in a good way is Buffer. So Buffer is a software company that makes all of this pay transparent. And when you see um, companies that um, have extremely transparent pay policies, what they will typically do is they will introduce a very formulaic based pay approach to do that because it's really the only way to navigate it, you know, because like, that's where you have people that will self-select into, you know, company because they like that style. They like to really know how their pay can grow and they don't, they just don't want to deal with that kind of thing anymore. Right. So it's very rare to see the combination of very transparent and non-formulaic pay, you know? So that's why academics uh, or academia government and some companies are very transparent. It's because they know that they can defend their or at least that they know that the decisions have been made on a consistent basis because they have a formula applied to it. So, mm-hmm. And yeah. then lastly, the most obvious, which is how should someone ask for a raise? What's the best way to phrase it? Like kind of a sample script or an example of how you might tell someone to do it. Yeah. I hate giving you these, it depends answers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, again, I would always say, I would pr- write down exactly what you want to say, you know? Um, and you know, don't read off a script in front of your manager because then it starts to look like a, you know, like a hostage situation kind of thing. Right. But it's one of those um, areas where you have to, I think you have to approach it from terms of career. If you have a lot of options, um, like focus on your achievements and evaluate what you've done up to this point. Don't name an exact number. You said, let them do it. Right. 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 Yeah. I I would do that. Say, Hey, listen, you know, I am a, you know, I'm a a, a senior analyst at the company, right. You know, um, I have, you know, aspirations, I would like to, I'm going to go, um, you know, work on my MBA or whatever it is while I'm going to school here, you know, when I'm through with that, or I'm going to take these courses or certifications, or I'm going to work on this for a few more years, but I'd love to just understand what can my career plan look like at the company? Could we sit down and come up with a career plan for me? I think a lot of managers, if you're a good manager, you're psyched to do that, right? Because, you know, you've got, uh, you've got somebody who's engaged and they want to be with the company. And like, you, you probably can't guarantee, you know, how that'll play out, but it's like, you know, here's, here's what I think you can achieve here. And oftentimes like, that's the, that's the work that good HR people like doing, you know, like to sit, sit down with their top performers and say, Hey, I think you can have a big career here. Let's try and plan this out together. And mm-hmm. naturally, if you say, you know, once you had, 
you're, you know, a senior and then, you know, a lead and then a principal or whatever it may be, you know, in that, in that trajectory, like pay is a, is an outcome of those things. And so you don't even have to approach it directly from pay. Uh, but if you are kind of leveled out in your, um, in your career trajectory, you don't see there's like obvious promotion abilities. And I think you will, you will have to, again, point to a, a delta between the company's own rules and its policies and what you're actually paid. Um, mm-hmm. If you are, if you are highly paid, the company's following all of its own rules, and you're capped out, is very like you're, you're going to be very much last on the list to uh, to uh, you know to receive a pay increase because there's always going to be more urgent cases. Um, yeah. Uh, to so. Yeah, I think one of the big takeaways for me to hear with the ask for a raise is let the company do the work of figuring out the range or what what it is. If you're like, hey, I don't want to accept anything that's less than 15%, still let them throw out their number and then you can negotiate off of that. You could be like, yeah. thanks for that. I was actually thinking something more in the range of this though, or, or a response like that. I think that's right. And also don't be scared. You know, it's one of these, like if you come in with a, you know, I'd like 3%, they, they're going to be like, why did you even, why did you even take this risk? You know, like that 3% could matter to you, especially on a compounded basis. But like, if you are a manager of a big organization, you've got hundreds of people in your, in your team, yeah. you've got one person that's, you know, taking your time for a small increase. You're going to, you're not going to register that as a major problem, but if somebody is a good performer and they've got uh, they've got a good story to tell about their pay and uh, they're going to look to do something significant for you at that point. Yeah. So I, would, I, I wouldn't go anything less than 10 if you're going to, if you're going to speak up about this. Um, but just know that the higher number the, the greater burden of proof is on you to, uh, to demonstrate why that is. Yeah. I just wrote this article about how much of a raise can you actually ask for? And I essentially broke it up into five to 10, which is like, if they don't do merit bases, if you just got one, if you haven't been performing, you know, like that's kind of my minimum 10 to 15 was like, Hey, you've been doing your job. They do merit raises. And this was, it took me a long time to try to research this and figure it out. And then, uh, like 15 to 20 was sort of like, okay, you know, you've been going above and beyond and you, and this has nothing to do with promotions, but I would say for people who are getting promotions, definitely aim for that higher amount. Right. I think that's generally true. Again, if you're super high in your pay range, some companies might physically like cap you, right. They yeah, might say yeah. your, pay, your pay will stop, but maybe we'll give you a lump sum increase every year for the, the, you know, the merit cycle or whatever it may be. Right. So like you, again, you really have to know the practices of your own company uh, because if you go in and you're close to that cap and they have a strong cap policy, and you ask for 20%, they're going to say, there's nothing we can do. You're already yeah. like, uh, and like the, the, what they're really saying is if you left, we could replace you for somebody at 30% lower cost. And they'd probably be, you know, unless you're an extremely rare top performer, they're unlikely to, to go with you down that road. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much. This has been very enlightening. Your book is called Fair Pay. We're going to link to it in the show notes, but everyone should also get your book because I think one of the things uh, as a major takeaway here is like the more you understand how pay works and how salary works and how your manager and bosses and teams are working, the more you can kind of direct the system towards your direction. And as you said, it's not scary. I think it's scary to some people because talking about money is always scary, but also you feel like it's one of the one areas of work where you're like totally kept in the dark about. So I can't say enough good things about your book. It's, It's really, really, really amazing. Everyone should buy it. Um, where else can people find you and obsess over you, follow you, ask, ask you their salary questions? Uh, well, uh, thank you so much for the kind words. It's, it's always it's fun to, to speak with you. Um, 
So yeah, uh, davidbucklasterbooks.com. I've got a very ridiculous last name that works very well for the kind of work <laughs> that I do. But um, uh, that, you know, I'm on social, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, probably most. My daughter won't let me on TikTok. So that's not... Uh, uh, that, that's you not would do so well on TikTok though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But With the I can't, salary information? Yeah. I can't, I, I can't dance. Like, don't, don't you have to dance to be on TikTok? Isn't that how it works? You don't have to. I think if you just literally threw out basic salary information, if you even just told people salary information, since you have a goldmine of data, you should tell your daughter, I'm, I'm not going to dance. I won't sing. I won't do anything. I'm just going to yell out salary information. <laughs> okay, we'll see I'll, if you go I'll, viral. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take your negotiation tips and see if I can get on TikTok. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So yeah, if it, anybody wants to reach out to me, you know, um, form on the website or just you know whatever social linkedin is linkedin is great whatever whatever you is your preference i guess just not tiktok yeah (laughs) Yeah, not tiktok okay fair pay david buckmaster thank you so much all right thanks so much Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and rate or show. It really helps us so much. If you want to learn more about David and his book, which I highly recommend, it's called Fair Pay. Check out our show notes. And don't forget, we launched a new online course this week called Ask for a Raise 101. The course covers everything from how to determine your market value to the exact word-for-word scripts you can use to make a successful ask along with things that you might want to avoid. And your enrollment this week only comes with a special bonus, which is called our salary negotiation flashcards. You're going to get 15 plus scripts for common yet super tricky salary scenarios, maybe even awkward salary scenarios. This bonus is totally free, but you have to enroll in Ask for a Raise 101 by Monday, March 28th, 2022. And lastly, I should mention the course is only $27 and gives you lifetime access to the video tutorials, workbook, and expert FAQ, so you can rewatch it every time you need some negotiation help. All the links are in the show notes.